0: Your co host, and today I am sat with Bob Towers. Hi, Bob. Hello,
1: everyone. Welcome. Um, Which which episode is this, Caitlin? Is it episode eight or nine or 15? Where are we up to?
0: So, this is episode eight, and I do apologise if the sound quality is um, not as good as usual. Uh, We are filming this, uh, recording this via Zoom, um, just because of local lockdowns at the moment. So, yes, we do apologise for the sound quality. But anyway, on with the show. Um, so, Bob, how have you been this week? Do you
1: know what? I, um, it's been a very important week for me this week because I've um, been getting ready for autumn winter, which means I've taken off my sandals and socks because they, they're so 2020. Um, now I'm setting about reviewing my scatter cushions.
0: Lovely, lovely. And socks what about and sandals.
1: Um,
0: I am fantastic. I'm loving life at the minute. <laughs> we are just what on a full moon. <laughs> um, working lots um, and yeah, just enjoying life at the cool. minute. In lockdown as much as you can. Anyway, we are joined on our podcast today with Chris Fittock, who is a director at Theatre in the Rough. So hello, Chris. We're so happy to have you on today.
2: Thanks, everyone.
0: So do you want to get started about and tell us about what Theatre in the Rough is about?
2: Well, Theatre in the Rough, it started about 10 years ago now, um, and my, my, my background is a writing background, and it began really as a very modest project, just a kind of two-night new writing uh, festival in Sefton, and mm-hmm. we would work with young people aged between 13 and 25, and we'd work with them in schools to develop short new plays going to 10, 15 minutes long. And we'd maybe produce 10 over a couple of nights. Um, we did one festival um, at what was the Southport Arts Centre, now the Atkinson, um, one at the Unity Theatre. So we, we take young people without any background or experience in playwriting, because you don't really do that in school. It's more kind of prose stuff, poetry. Um, so we go in and take them through really a playwrighting program, you know, how, how to start from scratch, the things you need to think about. We take them to go and see plays, which, you know, people forget it's really important to go and watch stuff as well when you're writing theatre. Um, get them to work with directors and put them on uh, as platform performances um, to, to a public to a public audience.
0: Oh, I think
1: that's great because that's really kind of grassroots um, uh, performance art, and for a lot of those kids, that would be their first kind of introduction to theatre. And I just think that, that you know, schools should be doing more of this because it just helps uh, boost kids' confidence and, and awareness of things.
2: And it's a different kinds of creativity mm-hmm. because if you're writing prose or poetry, that you know, it's brilliant. But with theatre, it has that next step of it's three-dimensional, it's real, Mm -hmm. it's a completely different medium. And so you're thinking, one, in a literary sense, but then you're also thinking in a sort of spatial, in a practical sense. And so in terms of sparing creativity, it's doing different things for young people. I think it's, it's helping them to access different tools.
1: And how did this go down in, in the schools? How did kids respond to it? Were kids reluctant or were they keen to engage? Really
2: keen. I mean, the, the teachers would kind of round up the, the kids who would be interested, naturally interested. Um and you know, th- th- there would always there would always be a few who were like, I I don't quite know what this is, but it sounds interesting. So that th- they would maybe go on a, a bigger journey that, that there might be a, a bit more. Pushback or a bit more confusion to begin with, but that they'd still end up going, going on a, on a great journey. And I think it it was also it was always great to see that journey. Actually, to see people grow over a number of months, you know, as you'd get to know them, you get to dig mm-hmm. deeper into who they are and what they're all about. And I think you know sometimes they discover more about themselves because part of a playwriting process is digging down into yourself. It's not just the kind of technical or mechanical thing it is that but it's also thinking about who am I what do I believe in what are my values mm. and you, you you really would see that and you would see some people who are naturally quite shy um mm. genuinely grow which it sounds like a cliche but but it's true and, and that was really great to see
1: yeah and um, were kids involved right through the process in terms of writing the the idea and then were they getting up and performing as as well what we
2: do we have some kind of group playwrights and workshops then we'd work one-to-one on individual scripts then we'd have this day um for every project which this sounds really fancy i wouldn't call it this now but a day of practical dramaturgy
1: (laughs) which now that would terrify me
2: (laughs) (laughs) Which basically just meant um, instead of me talking about, you know, inciting incidents and story arcs, we'd get the play up on its feet with some actors and a director. Um, And so that's when you know what lives and dies, when you see the performers, one, doing what you're asking of them, but then two, going off and doing what they want as performers are wanted to do. And so it's, it's that step when the, the, the writers see the transformation from the page to the stage. And it's really important. It was really important for us to have the writers involved in that step, not just you write it and you give it over to us and that's your job done. Yeah. Your, yeah. your job is in this liminal stage as well when we get it up on its feet. So they'd see that, they, you know they'd help to direct a little bit. They go off and rewrite bits and rework bits, um, and so yeah, it was important to have them involved right right through the entire process.
0: Amazing! You
1: must have seen um, some young people thrive through through that process, and and actually sort of um, they identified this was their niche and this was what they wanted to do.
2: Yeah, I mean, as I say, we we really did see some people blossom and. Gain hugely in um, confidence, and I would say more broadly, just well being. To be honest, I think people in schools more naturally drawn towards writing projects will probably be the quieter people, the less demonstrative people, maybe the less confident people. Yeah, because writing can be an insular thing, it can yeah, be yeah. quite. Save space, but as I say, once you take that step from the page to performance, I think that is what really makes the transformation in mm-hmm. in the participants' confidence and well being, and, and can help to bring people out of themselves. I mean, you know, we had people who would come back, you know, year on year, sometimes, or we get them involved in different projects. So you know, you'd you'd see them from kind of sometimes age thirteen you know, through to 16, 17, which is a massive, massive change yeah, yeah. at that age anyway. Um, and you'd, you'd see completely different people, you know, in those four years within yeah. the same person. So, yeah, the, the journey they went on was, was brilliant.
0: Oh, amazing. And you, you were saying before that you're bringing your company back. So has it been closed well, for a while?
2: there was, there was kind of like from from that initial stage, when, when we started the company, where we would just hold these two nights a year of platform performances, there was kind of another two big stages in what the company would become and the company's journey. And so while all this was, was well and good, I came to think after two or three years, um, what 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 is the bigger purpose of this project because yes the writers go through a fantastic creative process they get the confidence there's well-being and all that kind of thing brilliant and it gets performed in front of an audience but there's absolutely no way of getting away from the fact that the audience is mums dads aunties and uncles yeah yeah so after a couple of years, I, I, I started to get maybe a bit frustrated by thinking there's a lot of good work going into this, but it's not actually being disseminated to what I would call a genuine
1: Yes, a broader audience, audience. It, yeah.
2: It was a valuable audience, but it wasn't a genuine audience. So we really started to think about some organisational development. You know, what what is the next, what can we do to get this out to what I would again call non-self-selecting audiences, the people who aren't the mums and dads and aunts and uncles. Mm-hmm. So we got a bit of cash from the Arts Council to, to think about this. And so what we started to do was think about what is the content or the theme that we're tackling and mm-hmm. where are we doing it? So we did this great project in 2012, which was kind of the first big sea change. We did, um, it was a project about the Titanic and its connection to Liverpool. Oh, yes. it, was yes. the, it was the centenary year
0: yeah.
2: and we took over a church in Waterloo, Old Christ Church in Waterloo. It's kind of like a, a big, beautiful, abandoned space now used for markets and events. So we took that over for a week. And Crosby and Waterloo has all these amazing connections to Titanic anyway. All the crew live there, the captain live around the corner. that's right. And so you've got this piece of, this this theme, this content that people go, ah, I know what the Titanic is. I'm Mm -hmm. interested in the Titanic. So we can hang the artistic project on that hook. So we can go through the playwriting process, we can put plays on, but you're gonna get people thinking, um, I'll check it out because I know what the Titanic is. I'm never yep. gonna check out plays by a 15 year old. Yes. Why would you? Um, it may be people who don't go to the theater at all, but they'll say, ah, I know what all Christchurch is. I go to the market there. I'll check yeah. out this yeah. um, project that's on. I'll go and watch some yeah. theater in there. So content and space became really important. And so we extended our reach massively with that project. We had um, live plays, we had a museum exhibition on there, we had original artworks, we had yeah. live music, we had talks by authors. It's like a kind of real multi-genre, true festival. Yeah. Um, so from that point on, we did more discrete projects. So we, we did another project with Sefton, Sefton NBC in the Atkinson and Age Concern. We brought together a group of young writers and people from Age Concern to talk about the changing face of childhood. So we had some lovely reminiscence workshops and we made some short films, which went on in the Atkinson. Oh. So yeah, that, that was like the next big step really, thinking about themes that people can get into and spaces that aren't just theatre spaces, it's it's somewhere that they would go to anyway. We'd almost trick them into engaging with us. Yeah.
1: Okay. And I, I picked that up a, a lot about theatre in the rough, that, um, Largely it's about um, looking back at a lot of heritage stuff, using heritage themes, um, using young people, engaging with young people, but also doing theatre in non-traditional venues as well. Has, has that been important to you and what was the next step from, from there then?
2: Um, yeah, it, it was really important and the next big thing we did after that was a series of audio plays called Coastlands. Oh yeah. Um, so we, we commissioned a group of writers to basically choose a theme in to do with the Sefton coast that they were interested in.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so, so we had someone that I did 24 hours in Southport, um, someone who did about the environmental and ecological citizenship yeah. of the Sefton Coast, for example. And um, we released those as audio plays, and that, that included a, a massive cast of people. It was part documentary, mm-hmm. part performance. Um, and so at, at that point, we were going great guns. We were getting lots of grants, and we had some really interesting projects. We were reaching a really diverse audience. And then there was like a big change where I was quite suddenly diagnosed with cancer. Oh,
1: really? And oh,
2: this this was like this is like 2016, yeah, and it was like it, it was like by the time they found it, it was like we need to sort this out yesterday. Wow. Um. Mm-hmm. So basically, everything stopped very yeah. very quickly. Everything kind of shut down, and the there was kind of two difficulties there. The first difficulty is when you have a kind of gap in in output. A lot yeah. of the people that, that you knew, your contacts, like say yeah. in councils or in venues or in community yeah. engagement, University. they move yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. They go. And so a lot of the very easy access you had to support and to, you know, using other people's infrastructure and resources disappears. Mm-hmm. And the second kind of structural problem, it's a business continuity problem, really, in that um, we were always run project to project, no core funding, kind of, you know, no overheads, no assets, no premises. Mm -hmm. It was kind of me in between projects running things, and then we bring people in for projects.
1: Yeah. So if it's it's just kind of. Just just on on that point, uh, uh, Chris. And I, I see you are um, a, a registered charity. Um, yeah. how, how did how did you decide on that and um, I, I, I understand you'd access grants from it, but tell me about that, that structure and why you went down the, the charity route?
2: Um, honestly, it's, it's to do with grants. Yeah um, mm-hmm. You have to be oh. a charity to be able to access grants from mm-hmm. from so many places and it was it was an easier structure than at least at that time than a limited company yeah uh, because a charity can be applied to a number of structures we were what's called an unincorporated association so we mm-hmm. had just a, a group of people basically who get together for a common purpose yes and so it's easy to apply a charitable structure on top of that and it means you can access grants and things it means you can mm. put together a good board of trustees who, who can help you as well
1: yeah so so you kind of um, set up this um, you know, got this charity status and then you were kind of um, accessing grants to do projects and really living from one project to another. Yeah. Well, then the, this terrible time in your life comes when you when you're diagnosed with cancer. Um, suddenly you have to concentrate on yourself for a period of time. But then, you know, you start losing contacts and you start losing kind of grants and how does it pick up from from there then
2: Chris? Well yeah, that's it, Bob because when it's just kind of me running the ship in between mm. projects, um, th- there's no business continuity there. there's mm. no one to pick that up. So it's really like turning around an oil tanker to be yeah. honest. and, and okay. the, 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 you know there were a couple of years where I thought let's just dissolve the company. Really, because it was very yeah. difficult to get it to get it going again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what once I had that realization was that a, a big structural weakness was that it was all based around me. I thought, mm-hmm. okay, what I really need to be doing is getting a team of people in to yeah. run this as a yeah. collective. And so that's what we've done. Really, in the past, maybe two or three months. To be honest, I've there, there were people that I've known I wanted to work with. Yes. And they're all, they're all alumni of Theatre in the Roof. They've all done Theatre in the Roof projects, one of which is Sarah Van Parys, who yes. you, you spoke to some time ago on the podcast. Right.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, a performer called Becky Downing, and a, mm-hmm. a brilliant kind of performer, director, designer called uh, Joseph uh, Rinhart. And so we've got, we've got four of us now, and we just came together and we had a, a big Zoom brainstorm a few months ago to decide. What are we all about now? What, what do mm-hmm. we want to do? But the big changes now, um, as I said to them all, believe it or not, I don't know everything or how to do everything. <laughs> and they've That's all got okay. skills. <laughs> 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 they okay. They've, they've all got skills and experiences that I don't have. And yeah. so just as like a first step, it feels a lot more, a lot deeper and more rounded kind of basis and structure for us to take things forward. And we're really in a stage now where you, you can't, you know, run before you can walk. Yeah, yeah. So we, we've got to get that a solid basis again at the moment. You know, what do we stand for? What are we all about? How are we going to do things? We're just starting now to, to, to apply for, for grants for potential projects. But um, as, as I say, we are taking it, I think, quite slowly because it is like turning around an oil tanker, as I say. Mm-hmm. It is like starting again, in a sense. We've, we've got a history, we've got a heritage, we've got a portfolio. Yeah. But for all intents and purposes, we are we are starting again. But it's it's quite an exciting time, really, because I think with new people involved, it, it brings a lot more opportunities because people know how to do stuff. They don't.
1: Mm-hmm. It does. I, I, I like your an analogy about um, turning a bloody oil tank around, by the way, it's a great analogy. <laughs> well, I also think with loads of um, arts groups and theatre groups, um, there is a time that you can uh, just tick along and be dormant almost and then sort of uh, rise when, when the kind of um, inspiration strikes and, and the, the circumstances are right. Now, one of the things that that I saw from from your website, and and just before I I forget this, um, all of those, um, well, lots of that work can still be seen on your YouTube channel. um, Because just before this, I was looking at um, uh, stitches which um, uh, Sarah um, uh, Sarah Jane Paris um, put together, and it's just fabulous. And it looks at, like, you know, that uh, somebody's history or a couple's history. Uh, through their clothes and it was put together with with age concern and stuff and it's just like a beautiful piece and there's loads of that on, on your YouTube channel and stuff but I see that um, earlier on in the year quite early into lockdown you had the idea of um, producing a, a podcast ridiculous idea I, I must say <laughs> Why who would, okay. would do that <laughs> it'd be on
0: me
1: but it, it, tell us about how, how that came about. Was this part of your kind of rebirth of, of Theatre in the Rough?
2: Um, in, a, in a sense, our, our failure was our strength when, when lockdown came around. Um, because we weren't sort of functioning, we couldn't be affected by lockdown. Yeah. Um, we could just... We could just do something. There was no one to pay. There was no overheads. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so it, it it was it was Becky Becky Downing. Um. She'd mm. done a couple of projects with Theatre in the Rough in the past, and we've we've always stayed in touch. And she got in touch with me and said it feels like we should be doing something, which made sense to me. Um. And so we ju- We just had this idea of what what is a very simple project that, that won't cost anything but we can mm-hmm. put out re- really easily and simply so we just had the idea that people are locked in their houses they, they can't go out as much um how, how do we bring the outside in so we thought mm-hmm. nature poetry um we'll get performers to read a nature poem um and we'll we'll, we'll put it on youtube at least one a day you know doesn't cost anything it's a really Um, low low barrier to access for performers and then you're asking them for five minutes of their time uh, at most. And so we got people from all all over Liverpool City region but all over the country uh, as well. Um, And allied to to the Daily Poem, Becky wanted to produce a a weekly podcast just to talk to creatives and find out Mm. how is COVID and, and how is lockdown affecting Affecting them, and we'd never done a podcast before. You know, when we started, the podcasts weren't even a thing back in two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten. Yeah. Um, I I didn't really even listen to podcasts before James, we started doing. Mm-hmm. I know, I know now. Um, and and yeah, it was it was a great new kind of outlet for us, I suppose. Um, mm. Yeah. You know, as well as interviewing people, we, we'd have kind of short sketches and, and short plays and people mm-hmm. that submit mm-hmm. pieces of music. Um, and yeah, it, it was a lovely kind of discreet project for a few months. Yeah. I, I felt it had a shelf life because it was to do yeah. with lockdown and COVID, which, you know, we know hasn't ended. But I felt the project probably had a shelf life uh, of a few months. But yeah, I, I, I think Becky said this, it, it was a good way of trying to get theatre in the roughs name back out there through socials Um, and again even socials in the past 10 years it's much bigger now than it was when we started and I I think it did help to kickstart us, and it it helped to kick start me in terms of thinking do you know what we we can start this again we I can rethink about what the company is and how the company runs Um, and so kind of like Becky's idea for the outside in project gave me a good kick up the backside as Mm. well.
1: Yeah. No, that that's good. And um, if people listening want want to check that out. It's called Outside In Sunday Sessions, and they're, and they're still there. And again, there's some lovely stuff because, as you say, it's a mixture of interviews and readings and and, and uh, uh, kind of short plays and things. Fabulous. Um, can I can I ask Chris uh, how is your health now?
2: Up in the table. Yeah, it's it's really good now. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You, know, it's you have to kind of manage your energies and things, which again, is why it's good to have a team of people. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's good now.
1: Good, and do you think your illness has kind of um, um, changed your perspective? Does it make you think differently? What, what's, how has it affected you, do you think? Um,
2: do you know what? I was just saying to, to my better half um, this morning, because we'd heard something on the radio about someone talking about the same thing. And no. I said, I've always said to her that did I waste my experience because I didn't want to go and join a kibbutz. I didn't move <laughs> to the desert and start talking to raccoons. I just <laughs> I just kind of carried on. I was like, should I have done something more? Um so kind of sadly, no, it didn't. Um mm-hmm. I just kind of got back in the saddle, to be honest.
0: Amazing.
1: And in terms of like um, future plans for uh, theatre in the rough, now you've you've got this uh, team around you. Um, what what are the the plans uh, next six months, twelve months?
2: Well, we had to decide what what is it are we for, um, what what is our hook, what are our values, and one thing that we're all interested in is it's the climate emergency. Yeah. Um I had this moment, it was in Central Station, um, either end of last year or earlier this year. Um you get to the escalators and they have all the posters. And yeah. it, it was yeah. it was for it was for a show, it's for a play. Um, one of those very kind of jocular Liverpool centric plays that I used to joke about yeah yeah. and I just looked at it and I thought are we is that what we're still doing (laughs) now this I'm not I'm not saying people who want to go and see that kind of thing I'm not saying stop it I'm just saying that this is this is for me this was my reaction i thought we're still we're still doing that thing you know the the oceans are boiling we're choking on the air um and 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 this is the thing and i, I thought this this has no relevance to me at all yeah it, it felt like not not just from it felt like it's from a different time but it also
1: felt like it's from a different planet so yes. It's what, what? A, as though it's a kind of complacency that, you know, the, the world is, is, is burning, but we're still doing, like, um, stereotypical Scouse-Humors uh, shows to yeah. attract an audience, and I know there's a place for that, um, but it can't be the be-all and end-all, and there has to be a, another aspect to that.
2: No, th- there was a place for that, but I, my kind of visceral gut reaction was it's not the place for me. Yeah. So I, re- I really started to think, you know, what what, what does theatre and what, and what does the art do? How how do we cross cross that threshold mm. from a straight traditional play in a theatre space? Um, I, I felt there was like a, a discontinuity between that uh, and the real world, and yeah. Yeah. what 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 is the set of tools you're going to give me? to make change then flip that around okay if I'm gonna have a theatre company what is the set of tools that I'm gonna give people to help them make change so as a team at Theatre in the Rough we thought we are really interested in in the climate change and we're interested in projects Mm. that can help people to make you know individual changes and behaviour changes but it might be very small it might be very Manageable. So, how do we have outputs? How do we have plays, or you know, artistic creative outputs that have a set of tools attached to them? And where do we do them? How do we do them? It ain't going to be in a black box theater space. I I know Mm -hmm. that much. Because I think if you're if you've got a show about climate change, for example, for me, I think you need to feel the real ground beneath your feet. You need to look at the sky above your head. You need to hear the real. Noises. You need to smell the real smells. There has to be that continuity between the product and the space it, it's existing in. And so uh, we're really interested in no, non-theatre spaces and thinking yeah. about how, how do you how do you go out to these spaces? How do you perform? How do you reach people that don't go to the theatre who don't want to go? Yeah. To yeah. The
0: yeah.
2: Um, so again, you know, it, it, this is all kind of in in the thinking and the yeah. planning. They just, but certainly that that concept is in our thoughts.
1: What well, what do you think are the plans for that? Then is it kind of supermarkets? Is it kind of uh, where, where is it apart from theatre? Then
2: we're looking at a project at the moment that it's based on the concept of wishing trees. Uh, it's you know a cultural thing across the world that goes back thousands of years where people gather mm-hmm. around trees and you leave messages on you know for each other for for the gods for the spirits for nature whatever it is it's quite a celebratory mm-hmm. thing yeah. and so we're thinking about you know how, how do we get workshops out into the woodlands
0: out mm-hmm. into the
2: parks how do we then have artistic outputs that genuinely cohere with the natural world how can you have a conversation about how we save the natural world without interacting yeah. with it yeah. that, that's that's certainly one of the things so yeah I'm, I'm always interested in what what is the tactility with the real world what is that that again that threshold how do you cross that threshold between kind of a representative artistic output and the the actual ground
1: beneath mm-hmm. your feet. Yeah. No, that that's dead interesting because when when we when lockdown was at its its toughest, and you know we may go back to to that. Um, remember when we were let out one day, you know, um, one time, and we could go for our walk. Loads of people actually discovered nature for the first yeah. time. They were walking around their own communities, and they were hearing birds singing and stuff, and finding like woodlands and saying my God, I didn't know about this. Yeah. So I just think that's very kind of contemporary. And, you know, we, we can build on that now to get people to engage with nature and, and understand all that. But well, in a way, it's
2: going back, isn't it, to what theatre mm-hmm. used to, you know, it used to be uh, on wagons and carts in the in yeah. the market yeah. square. So in a the, in the way, yeah. we're going back and we're, we're bringing it out of those very demarcated and limited theatre buildings. And I think... You know, COVID has been terrible for the arts industry. I know lots of people who have lost their jobs. Yeah, You know, so suddenly from this kind of um, merciless act of God through no fault of their own whatsoever. And I, I don't wish that on, on the industry at all. But if you want to look for some kind of bright spot, it's maybe catalyzed a conversation about how we bring theatre out of itself again. Yeah. And how 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 we, you know, release it from those black box, very kind of anchored, weighty theatre buildings. How do we take it away from the buildings? How do we decentralise and um, widen access and widen what theatre can be? Again, it's not, that's not the only way theatre can be. If you want to go and watch an on Bourne play at the Everyman, brilliant. But if... Mm-hmm at least now it's maybe catalyzed a conversation about what else it can be. So, you know, young theatre makers and people coming up can, can, can kind of have that different point of view when they're, when they're visioning, what do I want my artistic output to be?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think absolutely true because when we say um, society can't go back to the way it was uh, before COVID, then theatre can't go back to the way it was before COVID either.
2: And I think the digital space is just as important. That sounds counterintuitive to what I'm saying. Mm. But, you know, I think you guys do a lot in the digital space with, you know, film and the podcast. Mm. And again, that is accessibility for me. Because I think, you know, requisitioning theatre, in theatre buildings, again, that there's some kind of a barrier there for lots of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it can be this kind of... A lot of them now have these very glossy shiny places that feel very other and very disconnected even for me i've been going to the theater for a long long time Mm. um it feels like a different world there's very overpriced drinks it doesn't feel homely um how do you knock those walls down how do you widen that access and i think digital can do that um i think why not stream everything why not have podcasts why not uh, reach people in, in, in that way. Um, every, why can't every theatre and every theatre company become a local theatre? Mm-hmm. Um, go and watch it live, but also, if you can't do that, if you don't have the economic means to do that, if you don't live near a theatre, then why not be able to stream it? Why not be able to listen to stuff as well? I th- so I think, again, this kind of digital revolution which people have had to yep. do for Covid, I think you can, again, see real good bright spots
1: for that. Absolutely. And I think the future is going to be that kind of mixture with digital, the online, uh, live performances and and whatever. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, Chris, before we say thank you, well, thank you, but before we go, um, where can we find you? What links? Can we follow you on anything? (laughs) Not literally follow
2: (laughs) website theatreintherough.com yeah. um, and then you'll find all the
1: different uh socials on there
0: fantastic well yes, thank you uh, for... well,
1: make sure you don't find theatre in the rough alaska which i did
0: bob we get in the rough. tagged
1: by them all the
2: time we get people who tag us and it's like that show has got nothing to do with us
0: oh. <laughs> well well we have that as well because bob introduced <laughs> us as like-minded Dot com or something, and like is definitely not us, it's like minded oh, So, know. yeah, you can find us there. Um, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody, and thank you, Chris, for coming on and telling us about Theatre in the Rough. It's been so inspiring, as usual. I just love it. <laughs> definitely brings that spark back, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. This, this doing... is edge. this edge. This is where we're going now. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, thank you so much, Chris. And... Pleasure. Yes, so everybody take care. So, yeah, please listen to us again, um, likemindedproductions.com.
1: Um, .co.uk. It's
0: the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, Bob, what are you doing for the rest of the week?
1: Well, I, for the rest of the week, um, apart from sorting out my scatter cushions, um, I will um, be putting together a thousand-piece jigsaw of uh, Constables Fighting Temerara. How exciting can life be? Well, what about you, mate? What are you wow. up to? Um,
0: probably gonna have a gin tonight, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> don't shit your head. And <laughs> um, just working. And,
1: now, yeah. Caitlin, can, can I just say, do you know we, we ask people to kind of email us in ideas mm-hmm. and suggestions and stuff? We've had an email here, um, I'll read it <laughs> out. Um, Uh, dear like-minded productions can we hear more of caitlin please and can you ask bob to stop being um horrible to caitlin we just think she should have her own podcast and that's from uh, mrs bradley in blackpool so (laughs) people out there if you want to email the show tell us what what you want to see on on the podcast uh, then please do so
0: Amazing. I don't think my mum knows how to email, so. Uh-huh. <laughs> <I love that. laughs> I'm right. So thank you so much, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks everyone. Bye now. Bye. Bye.